And the day of Pentecost came where the Holy Spirit all of a sudden, like tongues of fire, like a, the sound of a rushing mighty wind came and, and they received something that is supernatural. And then Peter, who was very ashamed to, and he denied Christ all of a sudden, he was the one that stood up out of all of them and he began to preach and explain what it is that they're seeing, what there is, that what they're seeing in him was, had been poured out from Christ. It was what Christ had promised, and it was all about Christ. And 3,000 people said, what, what, what we got to do? And they said, well, repent and be baptized, and 3,000 came to Christ that day. It is no different 2,000 years later for us that we may have already committed our lives to Christ but we may not have experienced the pouring out, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In uh, the Christian Mission Alliance, we call it the deeper life. We call it a, a second work of grace, uh, a second blessing. And you will know, you know if you've ever had this experience. And it's not a one-time pouring out. It is numerous times where the Holy Spirit can all of a sudden fall and fill you up. What was promised, he poured out, and he did it for you so that you can live in victory and in, in, a, in a power and the presence of God. And I want to talk about that to you this morning because this is the next phase of the, uh, uh, of the apostles after Jesus has gone to heaven. In Acts 1.4, it says this, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. In other words, Jesus told them about this. He's told them there's going to be a promise. He says, I've got to go, and, but I'm going to send you another, the Holy Spirit. And he says, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You go down to verse 8 of, Acts, of the book of Acts, it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This promise is a supernatural baptism. One man has said that this, the Spirit fills us, it vitalizes us, it energizes us with the power of God. There is through this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, this baptism, a deliverance from sin, we become very efficient in our service and in our work not only for the kingdom, but in everything we touch. There is greater effectiveness uh, with our hands and with our minds and greater effectiveness in witnessing for God. We have, a, we have an incredible presence around us that just exudes around us when we are filled. And he says that in, uh, with, the, with the, the fullness of this Pentecostal blessing, don't be afraid of the word Pentecostal. Pente means just simply 50, 50 days that, that this spirit, the Holy Spirit was poured out. 
And, and this, what he's talking about here, is the empowering promise that Jesus talked about. And again, I'm going to give you a few scriptures here just so we know that and understand that what I'm, going, what I'm talking about today is scripturally based and has been experienced over 2,000 years, but not by everybody because not everybody's been taught this or even taken the time to sit and be still and to seek God for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But in Luke 24, 49, this is the, Jesus says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That power is the word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. It means where we're going to be endued with dynamite, with energy, with power, with might, with great force, with great ability and strength. Now, the keys in Scripture for this, if there's keys to this, the first key is, is to, one of the keys is, is to ask. In Luke eleven thirteen, it says, ask. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Now, I've had people tell me, I don't, why would I have to ask? I've already got the Holy Spirit. I received the Holy Spirit. How can I be born again without the Spirit? You cannot be born again without the Spirit, but we're talking about this great outpouring. We're talking about this baptism, this overflowing presence, this dunamis, this dynamite. How many of us can stand up and shout a hallelujah? I know what he's talking about. We've experienced it. I've experienced it. And it's, it's a powerful, there is a powerful presence, but then it, it, can, it can fade away and then it, we can get filled up like a bucket with water, you know. The, you fill the bucket with water, it, it leaks. Pretty soon it's empty. Then you have to refill it with a hose, the hose from heaven. So you have to ask, Luke eleven thirteen, And of course, Luke 24, 49 is wait. Wait, how impatient are we? You know, I heard this message about this some years ago and I waited. How long? 30 seconds. Because I had to get to work. I had to do this. I've got to get on with it. I don't have time to wait. I don't have time to find a quiet place. Well, I want to encourage you to find a quiet place because when he, what he promised, when he pours it out and when it fills you up, you will never be the same. You'll understand what he's talking about. Do not depart, but wait for the promise. In Acts 1.14, he goes on to say here, if you've got that, your scriptures open there, in Acts 1.14, it says, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And it was in those days that Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. So there they were, but they were continuing. There's some keys here. They were within, they were waiting, but they were waiting in one accord. They, they obeyed Jesus when Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Wait, be still, seek me, ask. And so what we see in here as we, look, as we continue to look in Scripture 
If you look at chapter 2, going from verse 14, and you look at chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So not only were they waiting, not only were they asking, not only were they seeking, but they were, within, they were in one accord. And that is critical for the Spirit to be poured out, especially upon a church and an individual. There has to be a one accord. What does that mean? To be in one accord. Well, the Greek word is hamath u madon. Hamath u madon. And it means having mutual consent. Being in agreement. Don't worry about what the Greek word says there, but understand in the English what one accord means and ask yourself, do I have this with my brothers and sisters and do I have this with God, with my personal relationship with God? Having mutual consent, being in agreement, having group unity, having one mind and purpose. It shows a harmony which leads to an action. So in Acts 2.42, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. But going back up to this oneness, where he says they're in one accord, in one place, that was when the Holy Spirit got poured out. In Romans, just before we go on to in Acts 2.42, in Romans 15, and I am jumping around the scriptures today, but I just want to support this idea of there is a waiting, there is an asking, and there is a oneness that is needed in order for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Yes, he promises the Holy Spirit, but yes, there are some conditions for us to receive this pouring out. Romans 15.5 says, now may, God, may, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Oneness, one accord, brings Joy to the Lord, and it glorifies him, brings glory to him. And so it's important for all of us to really seek the Lord together and to ask ourselves, are we in harmony with one another? Are we in accord with Jesus Christ? So for them, for the apostles, for the apostles in Acts 2.42, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers, there's four keys there. The teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, that can be communion, and praying together. And verse 46 says, so continuing in Acts, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And what was happening there, there was people added daily to their number who were being saved when this kind of oneness was going on. So when there's oneness, when there's one accord, when you're together in this, 
God moves. He brings others in. People like that. They want to know what is this about you? There is unity where there seems to be so much disunity. And they see it in, in, in when there's one accord. Further down in Acts, when they prayed together, in uh, Acts 4.24, it says they raised their voice to God with one accord. Their worship was with one accord. Their requests was with one accord. They were, in, they were unified in their purpose of seeking God. And when they did that, in Acts 2.31, it says the place was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with boldness. See, there was oneness in that, in that place. They, they, they were a little timid. They were going to have to go out and share. And they asked God for boldness. And God, because they, God saw the unity, he saw they were of one mind. They saw they were asking. They saw they were in a room together waiting. And he poured out his Holy Spirit. And they knew it. And they spoke with boldness. And the place shook to give them a physical revelation of a spiritual action that was going on. So they had both a confirmation in their spirit and a confirmation in the ground that this God moves. What he promises, he pours out. And his promises are good. It's a yes and an amen from God. And that's the way God works. So being in one accord while being healthy and vital for the church as a whole, it is absolutely essential on a personal level with God, on an individual level with God, being in one accord with God between you and him personally is absolutely essential to receive what he promised to have what he promised poured out into your life. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. There's oneness. And you can do a wonderful study of looking at oneness and looking at unity in the Bible. It is full of the verses of it. Think about this. If we have the same advocate, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, he's called an advocate, he's called a counselor, he's called a comforter, he's called the Holy Spirit. The name that they tried to, they, they couldn't come up with an English name, so they came up with this strange word called paraclete, parakletos. And they've translated it in all our various English words to mean advocate, counselor, comforter, our guide, the one that comes alongside us, the one that will hold us up, the one that will uh, strengthen us. That's who this, this, that's what Jesus said, I have to go and I have to pour him out into your life. But you, it's important for you to know that you don't have him poured out into your life until you wait until you ask, then you, and, then, and then there's one other thing we're going to look at, and that is being obedient to him. 
We think sometimes we can have all that God has for us, but with no obedience. It doesn't work that way. Now, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all of us have times when we make mistakes. And God isn't there all every time and, and uh, w- laying it over to you, but it's just this absolute willful disobedience of God. The presence of God will, will, will sort of withdraw from you. And I believe we've all been in that place where we've been disobedient, knowing it, and then we've sensed a weakness where before we had a strength. So, so when we look at what God says in here about being in one accord and personally, it is essential that we have this between us and God. And if we have the, the same advocate and the same counsel or the same comforter, we all have him. That's the one that, that, that we've been born again with, but that's the one that he wants to pour out upon us How can we not be one with one another? How in, a, how in a church can we not be one with one another and be in one accord with one another if we all have the same advocate? Well, may, maybe it's because we're not all seeking the same advocate, the same counselor, the same guide, the same Lord. The Bible says in Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? can I walk with God and not be in agreement with him? Can you walk with God and not be in agreement with him? Can we as Christian brothers and sisters walk together unless we're in agreement with one another in terms of what God's calling us to do and be? Each of us has to examine that in our own lives and each of us has to ask for the Holy Spirit. Each of us has to wait and then we also, yes, we have to look at these prerequisites. In Acts chapter 5, looking back at Acts, and if you want to read the, these verses, but if you go to Acts chapter 5, and I'll just read all the verses there that I've mentioned here, verses 30 to 30, 32. Acts chapter 5, verses 30 to 32, it says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are all his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So I don't know how you think when you look at that, are you in a place where you're saying, I'm walking that road. I'm, I, am, I feel like God has really enabled me and he's drawn me in and he really, he's shown me what it's like to be without him, what it's like not to have this Holy Spirit, this advocate, this fullness of the Holy Spirit in me when I'm disobedient. So I am choosing to obey. I'm choosing to lean into God. And then God says, yes, wonderful. That's Wonderful. And I can see, and it begins to happen when we follow the scriptural teaching where Jesus was on the mountainside and he he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. And so uh, obedience begins to manifest itself in your life when you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness rather than unrighteousness. 
And God says, when you lean in that direction, wait for the funnel, wait for the fire hose, because it's coming. And it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Now, I say all that to say this. Life circumstances, though we all have to admit, I believe, can harden our hearts towards God and even harden our hearts towards one another. Isn't that right? Now, the Bible always has scriptural guidance in this and, and helps us out in sometimes tough ways. The truth is hard sometimes to receive. But in the Old Testament, there's a couple of verses, one's in Hosea and one's in Jeremiah, that talk about breaking up your unplowed ground or breaking up your fallow ground in the old language. And in Hosea 10, verse 12, he tells us this, to sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Now, we all want to do that. I want to do that. I want to sow for myself righteousness and reap in mercy. I want to be a peacemaker that we're going to be teaching on in a couple of weeks, who sows in peace and raises a harvest of righteousness or reaps a harvest of righteousness. Something has to happen in our hearts, in your heart, in order to do that. And if life circumstances have hardened your heart toward God or toward another, and you're not at peace with another, or you're not at peace with God, then it's right here for us that the unplowed ground, which is hard ground, which is like your hardened heart, which is like a wall you've put up against God, has to be broken up. I was just talking to Joe and Sherry the other night when they were cleaning. I said, have you begun your yard work yet? Well, they're going to be getting out here pretty soon and starting to get the rototiller out and till the ground, ready for the, ready for the planting of, of, of seeds, ready, ready to get all those vegetables. You don't just go lay them out on the, on the winter's hard ground, and if you left it for four or five years, how hard and rotten is it going to be? You've got to break it up, and it's no different with your heart. When we first come to Christ, it's like, whew, it's like a, a rainstorm. It's wonderful. Righteousness rains down, and we, have, we, we walk on, on high level, and, and, uh, but then all of a sudden, the bills are still there, and the problems are still around us, it seems like, and we've got all these things to sort out. Relationships aren't quite the way it, that you'd like them. And so God says, well, and now you've come to me, you know me, you've believed in me. Yeah, now you're born again, but you need the Holy Spirit. And for those of you that have, may have walked a Christian life for many years, circumstances come along, discouragements come along. Relationships affect you, family dynamics affect you, and your heart becomes hard towards God and towards other, other Christians that you, you know you're to love. And God doesn't like that. He just, he, and he doesn't want to leave you like that. In Jeremiah, uh, well, actually finishing up in, um, in Hosea, it says, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Break up your fallow ground because it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. 
That's pressing in. That's being obedient. That's saying, I don't want to be hard toward God. That's I don't want to be hard toward my family and friends. I, I, I want this hardness broken up. And so, Lord, and how does that happen? You know what, how it happens? In confessing your sin toward God. Confessing your thoughts, your feelings, your actions. Sometimes you may have to confess it toward another one, another person, someone you've offended, someone you've had a difficult time with. We're going to learn that in peacemaking, in that seminar. We're going to learn how to go. We're going to learn how to get the log out of our own eye. We're going to learn these things. It's, it, the Holy Spirit will lead us, but unless we're willing to acknowledge that I've got unplowed ground, then you can rain all the righteousness down you want. It'll just wash right off that hard surface. So break it up. Now in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For thus says the Lord to the man of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Be careful where you plant your seed. And then he says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. And take away the foreskins of your hearts. It's another example of, of taking something off that, is, that, that, that needs to be cut off. And then he says, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Now, ah, who likes to hear that? Oh, God's not like that. He's not going to do that. I don't want to give him an opportunity Let's not give him an opportunity to rain down fire like that. Let's give him an opportunity to rain down the fire of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, to fill you up. Get your unplowed ground broke up so that he can fill you with his Holy Spirit. Listen, this Holy Spirit, this advocate, this one that wants to be poured out, this what God promised he did pour out and what God promised he will pour out if you will ask and if you will wait. And what will be the results of that for you? Well, Jesus laid it out, and I'm just going to, for all the verses, if you want to go through John 14, 15, 16, and 17, and studying those verses there, but just to say this, what is going to happen when his spirit pours you out on your life, when he fills you up? This is what he promises. This is what the advocate will do, the counselor will do. The paraclete will do. The Holy Spirit will do. He will testify to your heart about Christ. He will tell you about Christ. He will encourage you in Christ. He'll convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict you of those things. But he will not condemn you. He simply convicts you for you to see where you need to ask for forgiveness and ask for that fallow ground to be broken up. He will guide you. He will give you guidance in the decisions that you're trying to make. He will also, this is according to scripture, he'll tell you things to come. If you're wondering about that, that's in John 16, 13. When he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth and he will tell you things to come. Do you want that? Do you even want that? Do you even want the Holy Spirit talking to you and guiding you in all truth? If you do ask, and if you do wait, and if you do, do all you can to be obedient to him. 
And he's going to take what is Christ's and he's going to declare it to you. And he'll fill you and endue you and bless you with himself. Now, do you want to be full with Jesus? To be filled with him, to be overpowered with him, to have that power that only God can give. Samuel Chadwick, an old guy, says this, the same Holy Spirit gave me a new understanding and experience of prayer. He gave me a new endowment of wisdom and power. Yeah, he says his disciples were already saved. But Jesus, when praying for them, calls them to his own. He says that's when he did that. But it's evident that a a man or woman may be born again of the Spirit and not be baptized with the Spirit. Is that you? The Spirit fills, it vitalizes, it energizes with the power of God. And I mentioned this earlier, deliverance from sin, efficiency in service and effectiveness. And so... Sometimes in life, rather than seeing life's challenges ahead of you as stumbling blocks, be like Samuel Chadwick. He said, the things that are stumbling blocks to so many are stepping stones to me. Stepping stones to the cross. Stepping stones to Christ. Listen, as we come to the communion table and we think about what he did and what he's left us to remember is that Christ died for us. And when, before, before he went, he said, I have to go, but I'm going to send you this advocate, this counselor, this helper, the Holy Spirit. And I want to pour him out such, in such a volume that you will be so filled. You'll be guided. You'll be convicted. You'll be told things to come. You'll, be, you'll, you'll hear what Christ's all about Christ. And A.B. Simpson wrote, wrote this as as a short poem. He says, as surely as he overcame and triumphed once for you, so surely ye that trust his name shall triumph in him too. You can have that for yourself. You can have that for yourself. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit. There's a professor at Nyack College, his name's Rob Reamer, and he's written a book called River Dwellers. He's written another book called Soul Care, and we've heard, Polly and I have heard him many times at conferences, and he writes this in one of his books. He says, he fills us to spill us. He fills us to spill us. Do you have anything to spill? Would you like to have something to spill? Would you like to be so full it just spills right off of you when you go to work? Well, if you will wait and you will ask and you will be obedient, the promise of Scripture here is that what he promises he will pour out and what he pours out and fills you with, you'll never be the same again. So you may be born again, But have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you had that second blessing? Have you entered into that deeper life? Do you even desire it? Are you asking God to help you break up that fallow ground so that he can truly rain righteousness down and his rain can get into the soil of your heart? I just leave that with you. So when we come to the communion table, 
you can ask yourself. Ask yourself, examine your own heart, and then you talk to God. He's a personal God, and he will come and he will fill you when you ask. Simple asking. Say, I want to be, I'm choosing to be obedient from this stage forward. When you convict me, I'll acknowledge it. I want to be filled. I want the comforter, the counselor, the helper, and the advocate. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray for us, Lord, that uh, you would help us and guide us. You would give us strength to face the struggles we face in life, to acknowledge the truth of where we're at. And then, Father, I pray that we'd be willing to wait for you to move and that we would choose to be obedient. And then, Lord, what you promised to pour out would be poured out, that we would be so full with you that we'd have that oneness, that one accord. Lord, we'd see your spirit move because there is a oneness, that we'd all be in agreement together. We'd be saying, yes, we are together, and so we can walk together, especially when it comes to seeking that fullness. So, Father, I give this message to you today. Trust that we give ourselves to you and as we come to the communion table. Father, may we really, truly know that we're receiving that promise that you gave us when you said you were going to go to the cross and die for us. You gave your life for us. And may we receive that promise today and then be filled with your Holy Spirit afterwards, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.